Well, good morning and welcome to Grace Presbyterian. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we wrap up our series looking at the body by examining a subject that's often ignored in our fast-paced world. It's the subject of rest. I invite you to join us as we look through a couple of passages that will just begin to scratch the surface in helping us find out how God has provided all that we need for both rest and worship. Thanks for listening. A wonderful reminder uh, that God's Spirit does live in our hearts and dwells in our bodies. And as we saw last week, you are not your own. Do you remember that verse out of 1 Corinthians? You were bought at a price. You were bought at a price. Uh, Anybody here tired? I want to tell you something, folks, that makes you more tired than anything else. You want to know what it is? It's having children. That's what it is. You want to know what will wear down the body faster than anything? It's those beautiful little rugrats that God blesses us with. Uh, and I'm, I didn't even give birth to them. I mean, imagine the cost on the body that it is for uh, the ladies. But uh, this last three weeks, my, uh, my sweet little daughter has had a cough that we picked up ever since camp. And in, in the middle of the night, and she just finds the time when I'm like in the deepest of sleep. Uh, to start choking because you just can't get it uh, up. And so, you know, as two parents that um, get a little nervous when your daughter can't swallow, we bring her into our bed. And for the remainder of the night, you got these two little feet sticking right in your side. And then she's a wiggle worm over here. And pretty soon my wife and I are pushed to the very edges of the bed as she lays horizontally between us. And this has gone on for three weeks. wear you out. Uh, I'm entitling this message, uh, Your Body, God's Building, but focusing on this idea of Sabbath and rest. And uh, we're not going to have the time this morning to do all the justice necessary to uncover what Sabbath means. We should cover that in a Bible study, but we're going to dip our toe in the water a little bit. Um, the Sabbath is found in the Ten Commandments. It's, it's number four. It comes in the, the top four, all referencing how we uh, understand our allegiance to God, the Father. And yet, Sabbath for many Christians today is something that is ignored completely. And there's a component of Sabbath that we need to look at this morning. Um, I put some statistics up here on the screen uh, regarding how tired Americans are. 39% of people work more than a typical work week. So almost half of Americans work more than 40 hours a week. Uh, 83% of employees report going to work sick because they're afraid to be punished for missing work. 36% of Americans don't plan to use all their vacation days. I bet that's even a little higher than that in some places of the world. Uh, Americans are uh, literally working themselves to death as job stress contributes to heart disease, hypertension, gastric problems, depression, exhaustion, a variety of other ailments. The average American gets 90 minutes less sleep than they should. Uh, Amen. And the number of sleep disorders has skyrocketed in recent years. Even just on Friday, I was watching Channel 3 News, and they said that if you get woken up in the middle of the night, if you don't get a good night's rest, it can lead to Alzheimer's later in life and dementia. So you've got to watch the sermon closely this morning, folks, because if I'm a little off, I can tell you the reason why. But I, don't, I don't know if we have done justice to recognizing these bodies that we have don't belong to us. They belong to God. And just like any engine, if you were to run it nonstop and run it hard, uh, it's going to overheat. Things are going to break down. It's not going to work the way that it should. And God has orchestrated rest into the dynamic 
of a seven-day week. He even himself rested from work. So who do we think we are that we could be better than God? Not understanding that we need to take a break. There are some of us here today that need to hear this message because work, 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 work is all that's there. And there's many other uh, problems that contribute to overemphasizing work, uh, being obsessed with work. You're called a workaholic, right? Not the least of which is the toll that it takes upon your family as well. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to walk through a few of the passages that we've looked at. Again, can't cover everything in regard to Sabbath, uh, but we're going to eventually end up in Romans uh, chapter 14. But before we get there, I want to look at a few other passages. And then we're just going to ask some tough questions. I'm, I'm going to leave it there at the end of a message today. Just with some questions that I'm going to challenge you to answer. So to begin with, uh, our, our, our message uh, in the Old Testament came from 1 Kings. Uh, turn back there with me, if you will. 1 Kings uh, 19. Um, thank you to Sandy for reading that this morning. The background of this is Elijah, uh, just the chapter before, having gone to battle against the prophets of Baal, where they were calling upon their false god to show up, and he wasn't showing up. And Elijah called on the covenant-keeping god Yahweh, and he did show up. And then Elijah chased down uh, these false prophets, and he kills them. He kills them all. So uh, imagine if you were there in that day where you see God show up in your life. Imagine how that looks in our world today. Have you ever had God just show up in your life? Have you ever been part of ministry that was just fantastic and it was a praise God moment and God alone could have done this? And you're just on the mountaintop. Literally, Elijah was on the top of Mount, Mount Carmel. And I want you to see what happens because he's fighting with these two folks, Ahab and Jezebel. And uh, Jezebel makes this uh, promise to him in verse 2 may the gods deal with me if be ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them meaning that she's going to what? She's going to kill him. She wants to kill Elijah. Now if you have ever been in ministry you know sometimes you have the mountaintops right? Sometimes you have the high moments and then sometimes you have the low moments and so for Elijah that's one of these moments. And uh, look what he does. He runs for his life in verse 3. And, and he says at the end of verse 4, you see in quotes here, I've had enough. He prayed that he might die. I've had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Fell down exhausted. You ever been there? Anyone here ever been just like, I've had enough. I can't do this anymore. Someone else be in charge of this ministry. I'm going to call the pastor. I'm going to tell him how much I can't stand it. I mean, have you ever been there? You know where it's just exhausting? Who am I going to call, by the way? i got to call somebody sometimes when it's too much. Uh, sometimes you have the mountaintops, right? And then other times you have the valleys. And I want you to see what God does here. Because what God does not do for Elijah is say, you know what you need to do, Elijah? You just need to study your Bible more. You just need to buck up your Christianity, get tough. People are mean and that's life. God doesn't do that. Look what happens here in, at the end of verse 5. He lay down and fell asleep. An angel at once touched him and said, get up and what? Get up and eat. You're, you're exhausted. Your blood sugar is low. Right? You, 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 need, you need to eat something. 
Now, we've been in healthy eating for a while now. I want you to look and see what the angel provides. What does your Bible say here? Because we got this in the Bible now, folks. What's it say? He looked up, and there by his head was yeah, bread. Sure, my Bible says a cake of bread. That's what my Bible says. Cake. Yeah, I'm going to underline that in here. Cake. I'm just joking. Look what, look what God provides. He provides a meal of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. And so he got up, he ate, he drank, and then what did he do? He didn't go off on to Bible study. He didn't go to children's ministry. He didn't go to the prayer meeting. He went back to bed. He went and got more rest. Again, verse 7, the angel comes back a second time, touches him and says, get up and eat. The journey's going to be too much for you. So he got up and ate and now strengthened by the food. Now he has what he needs because what? He had to take care of his body. Do you know sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do, the most godly thing that you can do is eat a sandwich and take a nap. Sometimes that's the very best thing for you to do. Because what we need to recognize is that we are creatures in this universe that are not God. And if God himself in six days creates the world, he decides to take a day off on the seventh. When was the last time you took a day off? And I don't mean took a day off by traveling. I mean take a day off by rest. Just to say, I just got to rest this body. Not take a day off to go and do what, I, oh, we've been planning this thing to go and... That's not what I'm talking about. That's not a day off. Anyone here ever need a vacation from your vacation? Right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean to just stop the work. Go get something to eat. Lay your head down. Sometimes the most godly thing that you can do is not go to Bible study, not do more ministry for God, but it's to get something to eat and to take a nap. Uh, God outlines this when he creates the world by instituting a day. Six days a man shall work, and on the seventh he's to rest. It comes in the book of Exodus. I'd like us uh, to look at it quickly. Exodus chapter 20. I'm going to put it up here on the screen for you as well, but I want you to see where this shows up in the Ten Commandments. The fourth of the Ten Commandments, uh, if you have your Bibles, the print here is a little bit small, but I'm going to read it for you anyhow. Uh, This is what Moses records the Lord saying. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. I want us to see a few observations from this passage. First of all, there's some confusion over when Sabbath is? When, when is the Sabbath? According to this text, when is it? On the seventh day. Now, in our week, we count the very first day of the week as what? Sunday. Sunday. That's today. This today begins a new week. Therefore, when would the Sabbath be? Saturday. Saturday. Uh, don't, don't make any mistake on this. Don't confuse uh, when the Sabbath is. It's the seventh day. It's the last day of the week. Uh, You see, interestingly, in in this passage as well, that the Israelites had a little bit harder than we do for how long was their work week? How long is your work week? Yeah, usually five days for most folks, but they had six days. 
God said six days you get to work, but in the last day you rest. Because God rested, and that's the reason why. So the first observation I want you to see is that Sabbath is Saturday. It's really where the, the word Saturday comes from, is Sabbath day. Uh, secondly, I want you to see that the Sabbath is for everyone, not just Israelites. In fact, when God rested, he understood that this would be a component for all of mankind to follow, not just the Israelites. Look at the text. It says, neither you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your male or your female, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing among you. That when God wants to institute the program of rest for his creation, he does that across the board. So this extends. I don't want you to think that the Sabbath was only something that applied to the Jewish folks. That's old covenant. That's part of the law. Again, we don't quite have time to get through all the details on that. I want you to see, however, though, that this shows up at the very beginning of creation. That it's established for everyone. Last thing I want you to see from this text is that there is a dual command that's given in the fourth commandment. The first part is to remember. That means remembrance unto observance. It's the same word that we find recorded for uh, in the Septuagint. That's the Greek translation for when you're to remember the Lord in the breaking of bread. In communion, you're to remember him. In the same way, Sabbath is a command of remembrance. So if you say, I'm going to take a day off and watch the game, and you click on college football, uh, you might be doing Sabbath wrong because you're not honoring God. You're not remembering God. You missed the point behind it. And the second part of this command, not only to remember, but is to cease from your work. I think that implicit in this is this understanding that you've got six days to work. You need to reserve one to God. Trusting that God will be the one who will bring in the harvest for you. No, but hey, pastor, harvest is time. You've got to work seven days a week. I know you'll hear that from, from people. I wonder what God would think. About that, if we were to try to throw that argument back to him, because you know what, six days was enough for him, and for us to say that six is are not enough for us, that somehow we need more, is to place your trust not in God but in who? In you. I I got to work harder. I got to get it done, rather than say I'm going to cease from my work. I'm going to give it up. There's a, there's a few implications for these observations that I want you to see. Number one, it recognizes God's sovereignty over all creation, including all of our enterprises. I mean, even the animals were commanded to rest on the seventh day. So God is sovereign over all of it. All of it. He's watching you on day one through six. And by reserving one day left to him, you are showing his sovereignty over all of your life, all of your enterprises. Secondly, it provides an established rest for God's people. We should be thankful for that. There are employees that care about the almighty dollar more than anything else. God does not care about that. He cares about you. And he knows if you burn the candle at both ends, you're going to run out of candle. If you work the engine night and day, you're going to run out of oil. You're going to get too hot. You're going to burn up. It's not going to work. Sabbath provides an established program of rest into our lives. And lastly, it connects our humanity with worship. Nobody here, nobody here can do it. You, you, ah, man, you believe I work 21 days straight. 
Didn't even take a break. And then what did you do? Well, then I took a break, right? Because I was exhausted. Absolutely. Nobody here can continue. Everybody needs to take a break. Because you're human. You're just a person. You can't continue. Now, God exists to be worshipped. What a beautiful way that God has connected our humanity, our need for rest, with worship. That we would give attention, recognition, intentional attention to worshiping God on one day. Well, you might ask the question then, all right, pastor, so if Sabbath is so important, if, if this is for everybody, why don't we worship on Saturday? Anybody think that? Why, why then have we done away with this? Why has this changed? I have to give you a bit of a short answer for this, again, just because this isn't the main topic of what we're talking about. But Jesus Christ raised from the dead on the first day of the week, not the last. He rose from the grave on Sunday. And the church from its beginning recognized this as paramount to deserve our worship. So they transitioned the day of rest where they worshipped on Saturday. They gave attention to the law and the Torah. That's what the Jewish folks did. That now the Christians came on the scene to say it's not Saturday, but it's Sunday is the Lord's day. It's a brand new day. It's resurrection day. That's what it is today. We celebrate a mini Easter every time we gather, gather together on a Sunday. Sabbath is still established. Uh, but as Christians, we now worship on Sunday because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And this is what the church has practiced from the beginning. There's a few other reasons why this exists as well to focus on Sunday worship instead of Saturday. And a little bit has to do with the law. That Sabbath was honestly for some of the religious leaders a giving to God how many days out of seven? Just one. We're just going to give God one day because all the rest belong to who? That's when I get to do what I want to do. And they put all these restrictions on the Sabbath day. Now you weren't allowed to do anything. But I had to wait till the, you know, Monday. I had to wait till Sunday. I had to wait till further in the week to do what I wanted to do. But I'll give God, I'll give God one day. I'll give him one day. The early Christians, they understood that when Jesus comes, he doesn't just make a day holy. He makes a people holy. And now every day belongs to God. Not just one day. Every day is an opportunity for us to worship God. And there were many who understood this. There were still a few who struggled. I want you to see how Jesus handles the issue. And we looked at this as well in Mark chapter 2. You remember as Sandy read it for us this morning. That Jesus and his disciples are picking grain. And they're not allowed to because that's one of the restrictions. You're working for yourself. You've got to give God one day. The story that follows right after this in Mark 2 is where Jesus heals a guy on a Sabbath day. Jesus really uh, frustrated these religious leaders because he was breaking their rules, which they thought were God's rules, but they missed the point. And Jesus brings them back to the point. Jesus says, the Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. God gave us a day of rest. Because he knows we would need it. And he wants to connect our humanity with worship. He wants us to connect with God. And he does this. Jesus does this. To show that it's not restrictions that matter. It's remembrance 
that matters. So Jesus drives us back to the point of the Sabbath. He says, man was not created for Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for man. Therefore, or so, even the Son of Man is Lord over the Sabbath. And because of this, Jesus shows us that Sabbath is really a matter of worship. And worship ought not be restricted to one day. I'm going to say that again. I want to make sure everybody hears me, all right? That Sabbath, this idea of rest, is purposed for worship. And worship ought not be restricted to one day. You know, you can worship God tomorrow on Monday, Tuesday, throughout the week. You can worship Him on Saturday. And if you think giving to God just one day out of seven is somehow pleasing Him, then you've missed the whole point. And Jesus would say the same words to you. God didn't make you for the Sabbath. He made the Sabbath for you. He gave you a time of rest. And He is Lord over the Sabbath to extend it beyond just one day so that every day the Christian has opportunity to worship God. With all this in mind, this background information, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 14. We're only going to be there for a few moments, but to make a couple of observations to see how Paul handles some of this struggle with how people think of, oh, this is what you ought to do for worship, and no, this is what you ought to do. So Romans 14, we're just going to read the first few verses up to verse 8. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along with me. Paul writes these words, Accept him whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters. Um, are there things we can dispute about, church? Are are, are the things you'd rather see in church, preferences, you'd rather have it like this, I'd rather see more of this, less of this. Yeah, you know what? We could argue about that all day long. We really could. I guarantee you there ain't a single person in here that's going to agree 100% with the way you want it, right? So Paul says, stop arguing about these sort of things, right? Stop disputing over them. There's something greater in mind. Uh, Verse 2, one man's faith allows him to eat everything. Any amens there? Any amens? But another man whose faith is weak eats only veggies. Yeah. Again, this is a little bit of a hard message at the end of an eating healthy series, right? But look at this. He says that your faith is weak if you eat only vegetables. Now, I don't want you to think that this is a one-to-one comparison for how we've been talking about eating healthy. This has primarily in mind the idea of eating food that's been sacrificed to idols. That was a big deal in Paul's day, all right? And some people said that if this food came from the marketplace where the idols are, I can't eat it. And Paul, Paul's going to say, that's fine. All right, that's fine. But the truth is, if you give thanks to God, you recognize God, you can eat anything. You don't have to just eat one thing. This was a disputable matter in the church. People would argue about it. They wouldn't sit at the same table because I'm not going to, and you better not. And did you see what they did? And it's just pulling people apart is what it's doing. Um, Continue on with me here. He says, Don't look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. So no matter where you're at, on the preferences that you have in church, you have to know that your conscience is going to be held to God's accountability. He is your master. You'll answer to him for the things that you want to see and the things that you don't want to see and the way in which you want to pass judgment on others. 
All right, so now we're going to get into it. Verse 5. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Sunday is the most holy day. Right? Sunday is the only day. Or Sabbath day. Let's take Saturday. That's the day to rest on. Right? One person thinks one is more sacred over another. Then look what he says. Another man considers every day alike. I don't need to just worship God on a Sabbath day. I don't need to just worship God on a Sunday. Every day for me is a day of worship. I want you to see Paul's answer to this disputable matter. Look what he says. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Does that surprise you at all? Normally, we're used to seeing the Apostle Paul kind of put the guy who's wrong in his place. Like, you're wrong, and here's why you're wrong, and this is how it should be. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he recognizes that the answer to this day of rest, the answer to this concept of Sabbath, is one that you must answer in your own conscience. That each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So however it is for you, Paul says, God's going to be pleased with that. Look at verse 6. He who regards one day as special does so to who? Yeah. The, the reason why you're choosing one day is because you want to glorify God. So you're doing it to the Lord. And then he's going to bring back in this idea of eating. The one who eats meat eats to the Lord, he, but he gives, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so for the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone. And none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. All right, I want to see if I can put some, uh, put some context to this, some concluding points. Uh, from this passage, I want you to see, first of all, that the Sabbath must be determined as a matter of of conscience. Right? The, the day of worship for you, that, that needs to be something that you're doing from the heart. If you think coming to church on Sunday is pleasing God, just because you're coming to church, I think you've got it wrong. If it's not coming from the heart, if you think you're checking some type of spiritual box by coming to church, you're doing it wrong. Because whatever you do, you do unto the Lord. Paul's made that very clear here. For disputable matters, whatever it is, you're, you have to do it for God's sake, to give thanks to God. Now, you also might look at this and say, but pastor, isn't this one of the Ten Commandments? It is, absolutely. But you know what Jesus does? He comes and he takes all of the commandments of God, and he makes all of them a matter of conscience. Anyone here murder anybody? I hope not, but you know what Jesus says? The command says don't murder, but I say to you, if any of you thinks evil of his brother or speaks a word of anger against his brother, you're guilty of judgment. Therefore, murder becomes what? A matter of the heart. It becomes a matter of the conscience. How about adultery? How many adulterers? Don't raise your hands. <laughs> right? it, Jesus comes and he says, you've heard the command, right? Thou shall not commit adultery. One of the ten commandments, right? He says, but I say to you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully is already guilty of judgment. He makes it a matter of conscience. He makes it a matter of the heart. He'll, talk, he'll give examples even of giving. 
Uh, the, there are some, we have time to get into it, I think it's Matt, uh, Mark chapter 11, uh, where there are these, these folks that want to say, I'm going to give money to God when they should have been taking care of their family members. And any gift that I give to God is, it's really in honor of my parents, but they're not taking care of their own family members. Jesus says, you're nullifying the command. You're making what God said worthless by your human traditions. So that giving even now becomes a matter of the heart. The Apostle Paul flushes this out even more when he says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Right? Let your giving, Jesus says this, let your giving be done in secret. God loves a cheerful giver. Because the tithe, which was part of the law, you remember that? Um, in the Old Testament, you had to give, how much is a tithe worth? How much is it? 10%. 10%. You had to do this, part of the law. You might get called into court if you didn't. I mean, this is the law. You had to do this. You want to please God, you follow the law. And Jesus comes and he shows it's really a matter of the heart. There's this old widow that comes. She's living off of Social Security. She's got hardly anything. And she drops in two little, two little coins. Ding, ding. And Jesus looks and he says, hey, she put in more than anybody. She put in more than anybody else. The disciples are bewildered at this, thinking Jesus is bad at math, because clearly there are people who are putting in more. And Jesus says she puts in more because Jesus says she's giving out of her poverty. She's giving from her heart. Paul will say that before the commandment uh, came that says don't covet, he didn't know what the sin of coveting was. But as soon as the commandment was there, thou shalt not covet, again, one of the ten, he said, sin sprang to life. And I saw how now I wanted to covet everything. Because following the commands of God, church, hear me now, this is really important, is a matter of conscience. It used to be a matter of law that was written down on tablets. The prophets in the Old Testament, they say, I will remove your stony heart, I'll give you a heart of flesh. I will write my law upon your heart. So that now you're able to judge whether or not you're following God's commands. Not because you can attach it to some law that stands, but because you can be true to the spirit that lives within you. True to your conscience. So I want you to see that what Paul says here, when he says, One man considers one day more sacred than the rest. Everybody else considers all the days the same. He doesn't correct that. Rather, he says, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind, because Sabbath for you needs to be a matter of conscience. All right. Secondly, I want you to see this. God is honored by intentionality. Look at verse 6. He who regards one day as special does so to who? What's it say? He, he does it to the Lord. That's the reason I do it. I'm, do, I'm doing this for God. If you can't attach that to anything that you do in life, it has no value. Only the things that are done for God have value. If you're being uh, asked to cook something for one of these meals that we do, and you just say, I'm doing this because she asked me to, and I got to do it, and you're just, fine, here. <laughs> Don't do it. You're doing it for the wrong reason. God is honored by intentionality. I am doing this for God. That's why I'm doing it. Doesn't matter what it is. Specifically today, I want it to be in the realm of rest. Because some of us need to learn how to rest. Living in America, you need to hear a message that says, Folks, go take a nap. Eat a sandwich. Have some time of rest. But don't do it because, oh, I'm just so tired. I'm just No, instead, when you decide to take a day off, 
take a day off with intentionality to honor God. Otherwise, you're just doing it for yourself. God is honored by intentionality. The reason why I'm going to cease from my work, the reason why I'm going to say no to the contract, the reason why I'm going to tell the person, sorry, I can't come over today, the job's going to have to wait till tomorrow, is I'm reserving some time for God. I'm doing this intentionally. All right, lastly, everything the Christian does. This is where it gets... This is where it gets preachy, folks, all right? This is where you it, it, it gets really hard for folks. Everything that you do, you do to the Lord. Why don't you see how Paul ends this passage in verse 8. Look with me again in Romans 14, verse 8. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Okay. So what's in between there? Living and dying. That means everything that you do ought to be done for the Lord. Look how he concludes. For we'll, um, uh, so whether we live or die, we belong to God. I, I included a few other passages here where Paul says this clearly in the book of Colossians. Colossians 3.17 Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. What, what does whatever mean? It means whatever. Whatever you do, do it all in Jesus' name, whether word or deed. Um, I, I want to make a, a little point there on Sabbath, too. This distinction between word and deed, there, there are kind of two categories of work. I think it was Spurgeon that once was talking about Sabbath. And in regard to this idea, there are some people who work with their minds, right? These are uh, lawyers and preachers. <laughs> uh, we, we tend to uh, work with our words more than anything, right? But then there are other folks who work with their deeds, right? They, they have uh, jobs that need to get done. They work with their hands. Uh, they work with their backs, Right? Uh, this is what Spurgeon said. He said, if you work with your hands, then you ought to Sabbath with your mind. And if you work with your mind, then you ought to Sabbath with your hands. I'll just tell you, for me, you know what that looks like? That means like sometimes doing some work around the house. And for other people who are working all the time, they're like, I ain't doing no more work. I need to take a day off and just honor God by resting my mind. But for me, mowing the lawn can be just the most rest. That's the funnest thing for me to do because I normally work with my mind. And so to be able to work to Sabbath with my hands is a good chance for me to give reflection in that other avenue of life. But I want you to see how Paul recognizes no matter what it is, mind or deed, word or deed, whatever it is, you do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. A little bit further down in the same chapter, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for God, not for men. Everything the Christian does. Everything the Christian does, he does to the Lord. So where does that leave us today? I think there's some questions that we need to work through. <clears throat> We've reached the end of this series, and, and I hope it's been good for you to, to realize once again your, your bodies, uh, the, this vessel to which you have been given to walk through this world in does not belong to you. It's a place where God's spirit lives. So everything that you would do for it, you must do with the intentionality of honoring God. That covers your sexuality, 
that covers exercising, that covers what you're putting in uh, feast day or famine day, whatever it is. The body that we have is not our own. It belongs to God. Today's message really revolves around rest. And I want to encourage the church to continue in that same vein. So that when you decide to rest, you do so with intentionality that I'm doing this for God. I'm remembering God. I'm worshiping God today by taking a little time off to rest from my work. Some questions that I put in the sermon notes that I think we need to examine Uh, Number one, how would you answer this? And I I want to challenge you to put a percentage in there. How much of your body belongs to God? You you may find it's easier to say 100% than live 100%. That's what you need to connect the dots on. How about your resources? How how about giving? Even as we looked at the, the scope of everything that we do in life, from life to death belongs to God, there are many people who say, well, I'll give God my... Uh, My time or my worship, but my money is mine. I worked for that, right? Well, let me tell you this. God is the one who has given you a strong back. God is the one who has given you the mind. God is the one who's given you the relationships to put together the income that you have. So I want to challenge you on that. How much of your income belongs to God? In the Old Testament, it was 10%. That was it. Rest is mine. And lastly, what about your time? How much of your day, how much of your week belongs to God? The Sabbath law in the Old Testament meant that one-seventh of your week was reserved for God, but the rest was for me. And Jesus comes and he, he returns us back away from restrictions so that you would have the privilege of remembering God seven days a week, not just one. And Paul says some people consider all days the same. Others only one day. I want to challenge you. How much of your time belongs to God? And to try to put a percentage down that you will work towards. There's a few other questions that I think will help us in regards to this specific message today. Number one is this. When in your week have you intentionally set aside time? Do you see the word intentionally? When in your week have you intentionally set aside time? To break from your pattern of work and honor God through rest. Secondly, how are you depending on God by ceasing from your work and trusting his provision for your needs? And lastly, try to identify key areas in your week that strain for your time and attention. And begin the process of yielding those things over to God. Uh, just by show of hands, how many folks here are retired? I've been told that when you retire, you get really busy. Is that true? Yes. Yeah. That you're even far more busy. Or the calendar is even more full. Your schedule is even more full. So those of us in the working class, all right, apparently we got it easier than these retired folks. <laughs> no matter where you find yourself, the world that you and I live in, especially in the 21st century, especially especially in America, is going to clamor for your time and your attention. It's as simple as this. You're going to burn up your engine. You're going to burn up the candle if you are not finding time to worship God through rest. Maybe that's Saturday for you. Maybe that's a Friday afternoon for you. Maybe that's all day Monday. Paul says, whatever you do, you do to the Lord. So you decide where Sabbath falls in your week. But make sure you're doing it intentionally for him. 
and make sure that you are honoring God in everything, every sphere, your body, your income, your time. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together this morning.